In the name of God, the creator, liberator, and sustainer of the universe. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the prophet we know as second Isaiah, who is the writer of the 43rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, which was our first reading this morning, lived a good part of his life in captivity in Babylon, what is today the present-day Iraq. Isaiah and the people of Israel lived in captivity for some years. It was a very difficult time for the people of Israel. And one of the most difficult realities that they faced was they began to internalize the values of the Babylonian Empire and move away from what God had willed for them to do and be in human history. They began to believe that even though they remembered that God had acted in the past in the Exodus event, they saw no relationship between that event and their present reality. They had a tendency to remember simply to talk about what had, had happened in the past and glorify what we would call the good old days. But their memory was not that the God who acted in the Exodus event was a God who was acting in their own history even as they were enduring captivity. When memory becomes nostalgia, it becomes decadent. When memory becomes nostalgia, it becomes decadence and almost always leads to the destruction of hope. Any organization that says often enough, that's the way we've always done it, there can be no other way, is in fact declaring that it is a hopeless institution. In this context, in this context, the prophet says to the people of Israel, do not remember, do not remember, do not recall the things of the past because the way in which you are recalling them is enslaving you. 
The way in which you are recalling them is enslaving you. Stop doing that. You need to realize that God even now is acting in your own history. You need to realize even now that even though you are living in captivity and there is this incredible wilderness between Babylon and Jerusalem, that the God who set the people of Israel free from captivity in Egypt can act in your own history now and set you free today. The God who, who is the God of Israel even now is making a path through the wilderness. And your job, your job is to envision that path, recall who you are, and keep hope alive, and not be afraid to journey through the wilderness The New Testament scholar Rudolf Bultmann, a German scholar of the last century, once defined the Christian as one who is open to the future in radical expectation. One who is open to the future in radical expectation. Memory can sometimes blind us. The internalization of values that are not our own, but those of the oppressor can enslave us. We know that reality. In a sexist society, for example, it is very easy for women to internalize patriarchal values. You may recall that the fight against the Equal Rights Amendment in this country was led in large part by women. Phyllis Schaefer, for example, was a primary factor. Anita Bryant, other names come to mind. You can internalize, you can internalize the values of the oppressor and become blinded. Be careful how you remember, Isaiah is saying. And if your memory has led you to decadence, just let go of it. In the 12th chapter of John's Gospel, our Gospel reading this morning, a, a very important Gospel which by and large we have been blinded in the way we read it, ask us to see the radical new way in which God is acting in Jesus as he moves toward the cross. John is asking us to be willing to see that God is acting in a costly way and that we need to give up 
all preoccupations about many things, about who God is. God is not the God who demands so much sacrifice from us as the God who is always sacrificing for us that we might be set free. John is asking us to give up old concepts of discipleships and who is really the bearer of the word of God. The context in the 12th chapter of John's Gospel is Jesus is at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now he's been there before. He's been there before to bring life out of death in the case of Lazarus. The time is the same week as Passover and they are at a supper in the 12th chapter of John's Gospel. Now this supper, this supper has a lot in common with the last supper. Now, this is something that most of you probably do not know, but in John's Gospel, John uses the same Greek word, diaphon, for this supper. Now, there are many Greek words for supper, but John uses this Greek word for this supper and for the Last Supper. And he says that while they are eating, Mary takes some very expensive perfume. He says it was a pound of nard. In first century Palestine, a first, a pound of nard cost the average worker's year's salary. So Mary has invested quite a bit in this perfume. And John says that with this costly perfume, she washes the feet of Jesus. She anoints the feet of Jesus. In John's Gospel, we're near the cross. Mary has been able to perceive that if Jesus continues to proclaim the coming reign of God, that he is likely to be crucified. Mary sees this, she anoints his feet, she washes his feet with this costly perfume which she has paid a whole year's salary to have because she loves Jesus so much. Now, you will remember that at the Last Supper, Jesus has to engage in a teaching activity in relation to the 12 disciples. And what Jesus has to teach them is that costly love is sinful. And also the centrality of service, and he does this through teaching them about washing feet. And 
least a couple of them don't get it. People, Peter resists this. But Jesus is trying to teach the twelve what Mary has already modeled earlier. In John's Gospel, the primary model of discipleship is not the twelve men, although they are important. The primary model is Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany gets it, engages in the discipleship model which Jesus will try to teach to the twelve. One wonders, doesn't one, why we do not have a liturgical feast celebrating the anointing of the feet by the model disciple Mary of Bethany. And we primarily know the answer is because the way our memory has been clouded by the way we perceive people in the Bible, we do not perceive the critical role of certain people simply because of who they are. John is asking us to see in a different way. John is saying, you need to see. You need to see that with the breaking in of the kingdom, the reign of God, there is a new reality that has occurred. And if you want to see what discipleship looks like, this is where it is. Do not remember, do not remember, Isaiah says, if your memory is going to lead you just to nostalgia, do not remember if all you're going to talk about is how you conceive the good old days. I remember in my first parish in the Diocese of Virginia, I would say that three quarters of the people believed that the last thing that God had ever intended to do in human history had been done in the 17th century. And that was it. And the parish was greater then and it was falling apart now because of social change. And I had the awesome task of reminding them that in that century, half the congregation owned slaves. The parish had never issued any statement about lynching. And that in fact, instead of being a great parish, they had sort of been the antichrist. We've got to be careful. We have to be careful how we remember. We have to be careful whether or not we are those who are open to the future in radical expectation or we have allowed, we have allowed hope to die. In our own society, in our own society, again and again, we are blinded. 
We are blinded and do not see certain kinds of realities. Whenever leaders in a society can speak of tortured immigrants coming from Central America to our country as not being human beings, but being animals, we are recalling a racist past which appears to be very much alive in our world today. Whenever we say, whenever we say that we cannot change, we cannot change the way we relate to the earth, the way we use resources, because it would economically affect us. We are opting for the destruction of the earth. Isaiah says again and again, be open to see in a new way. Be open to realize that all that God has done has not been in the past. God is acting now. And very often God acts in small ways that we do not perceive. But we are called to continue in those small acts and not give up hope. To realize that even though we may have to travel through a wilderness, it is God who will be opening up the way through that wilderness. I heard a story recently from a Lutheran refugee camp worker. It was a very simple story. A young, a young boy named David, who was from the Sudan, had his village destroyed in a war when he was very young. Everyone in his family, except for his mother, was killed. He and his mother were taken in a truck along with, at that time, hundreds of other people to Ethiopia. They got to these refugee camps that had hundreds of thousands of people. And in the transportation that took place, moving people from one place to another, David was separated from his mother when he was about 10 years old. He did not see her again. At age 18, through the help of the Lutheran Church, he was able to come to this country, finish his studies, he got a job. There was one thing that David kept saying to his friends. He kept saying that he believed that God would help him find his mother. From the age of 22 to the age of 32, any time that David heard about anyone going to Ethiopia, especially any refugee worker, David wrote a little note, had his mother's name on it and his phone number. He did this for 10 years. Many, many people carried this little note. And what looked like an impossible mission, although David said in the words of St. Paul that he was a prisoner of hope. One day at the age of 32, 
after many, many notes. He was in his office, and he got a phone call from his mother. Someone had given her this note, and she had to walk three days to get to a telephone. They were reunited and were able to begin a new life. That's a very small example of keeping hope alive. That's a very small example that even in those situations that we find almost hopeless, that God can make a, make a way through whatever wilderness we find ourselves in. The season of Lent is a season that calls us to repent for giving up on hope. It's a season that calls us to repent from moving into despair too quickly. It's a season that calls us to repent from refusing to see the key roles of the Marys of Bethany in our history. It is a season that calls us to realize that we never need to give up on the revolutionary hope that is found in the gospel and never stop writing our little messages to those we need to be re reunited with. Let there be peace among us, and let us never be instruments of our own or anyone else's oppression.